Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KCBS Radio, original podcasts. The state of California took a gigantic step this past week. Today, the state is ending its pandemic emergency order, so we're looking back on the nearly three years since that order first... It's one that some have been looking forward to for a very long time. But what does the end of this declaration of emergency for COVID-19 even mean for California? What's going to happen to testing, access to vaccines? Have we finally seen the end to mask requirements? From KCBS Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mallory Samara, and this is Bay Current. To get some answers, and to hear about the crucial industry still struggling three years later, I caught up with KCBS Radio reporter Keith Minconi, producer and host of KCBS Radio's In Depth. I can't believe that it's been three years already. Yeah, well, it's it's been the longest, shortest time in a lot of ways because you you think back on it and it does feel like the pre-pandemic days are this distant uh, other world that we can barely reach anymore. And then in in a similar way, some of those early memories from the pandemic are also just seared so vividly into my head. It, it, some of them feel like they were um, <laughs> just yesterday. One after another, in the last few days, we've seen a series of closures, cancellations, even an emergency declaration. So for many... This past week is when the coronavirus finally went from just another story on the news to a fact of life. I think that but uh, definitely uh, this drawdown that we're seeing at the governmental level uh, to the pandemic response is uh, worth taking note of. Um, some experts are referring to it, uh, what happened yesterday, as mostly a uh, symbolic moment in the sense that, you know, the governor over the past three years has issued uh, dozens of executive orders based on that emergency declaration. There's been uh, many dozens more policies uh, enacted. And most of those at that point have gone by the wayside long ago. They've been uh, dropping pretty steadily the mask measures, the lockdown measures. Most of those are no longer in place. So in, in a lot of ways, I think most people are not going to notice anything too super different happening today that wasn't happening yesterday. Um, but there are some areas that will be changing and um, are worth going through. You know, before we go into how things will change, what made the state, what made the governor comfortable in in doing this? I mean, I know you said it's mostly symbolic because, you know, the everyday person might not notice the change, but what's gone right or, you know, what's happened to make the state feel comfortable in doing so? Well, what's been said publicly, and this is a view that is also expressed on the local level as well, 
is that we have gotten to the point where the emergency orders are no longer necessary because the medical system has had time to adapt. It's had time to reshape itself um, to this pandemic, the realities of this pandemic. And so we can just rely on the standard medical system as it is to deal with this and the standard providers of medical uh, tools like uh, vaccines or treatments. You know, it's it's time for the run of the mill day to day kinds of operations to resume and take up the lion's share of the responsibility when it comes to treating people who are sick from COVID or uh, distributing vaccines. And uh, so that's really the direction that we're going in now is uh, a drawdown of the government response and uh, a hope that uh, what comes next can be handled by the standard medical system. What are some things that are going to change? I mean, I think that maybe the what the everyday person has seen um, gradually, like for instance, every time I go to Kaiser now for a test or even the last time that I went in for my last, uh, for the bivalent vaccine, there used to be this huge tent outside of, you know, in the Kaiser parking lot. And, you know, people would file through there, get their tests done, and you'd have to wait in line and follow the dots on the floor and even the last time I went to go pick up a prescription, you know, even the pharmacist was like, well, you know, emergency declaration is ending soon. You might want to get your COVID tests now. Are those a couple of the things that are going to be changing, just the scaling back of of testings and, and those types of uh, protocols? Yeah, so I think that's exactly the area where folks are probably going to notice the biggest change. So on the front of COVID testing, vaccination, treatment, This has really been a focus for government efforts to make sure that all those things have been free for residents and for COVID patients. That is going to be drawing down. The state is uh, going to be withdrawing its support for these mass vaccination and testing sites. And uh, so as a result, basically, that's the end of that uh, particular era. At the same time, the requirement for insurance companies to cover COVID tests and therapeutics, that is going to be over by November 11th of this year. So when all is said and done, it's going to be more difficult to find free COVID tests, treatments, and vaccinations in fairly short order. There are still going to be some local programs uh, you can look up in your own uh, area to see if, if something might be available. The federal government has a stockpile of these resources, and it's going to keep distributing them for some time until it runs out. But overall, the trend that we're going to be looking at is those free resources are going to be getting more difficult to find. And eventually, uh, I think most residents are going to be footing more of the bill uh, on all fronts here. Um, Another change that is happening has to do with masks. Here again, fair to say that most of the mask requirements uh, had already dropped long ago. Um, But we are going to see the dropping of just about everything that was specifically tailored at residents. So there's still going to be some requirements for uh, medical staff uh, and in certain other circumstances. But most of the remaining mask requirements that are still in the Bay Area, those are dropping as well. Uh, And finally, at the very local level, we're going to see 
uh, individual cities dropping some of their measures as well. So for example, in San Francisco, uh, the city is going to end its requirement that employers offer paid sick leave for COVID uh, for residents. And uh, meantime, in Berkeley, they're going to be dropping, they're going to be one of the last cities in the Bay Area to drop a vaccination requirement for city staff. Um, So this really is kind of a patchwork transition. And that's fitting because when these measures came into place, uh, originally, it was kind of a patchwork effort there too. So an awful lot of moving parts, but uh, I, the headline really is on all fronts, uh, a drawdown of some of these uh, government backed measures. Yeah. And going back in the past three years, how did California do? I mean, you know, how did how did the state perform? Um, what are some health experts saying about how we managed Yeah, well, the question of how effective these uh, COVID precautions, these safety measures ultimately ended up being, that is a debate that I think is going to be carried on for quite a long time. If you look at the headline numbers, that is the uh, rate of death as a result of COVID, California, the Bay Area in particular, faring significantly better than many other regions throughout the country. And I think uh, a lot of health experts would say that we can attribute that relative success to these stay-at-home orders, to these other measures that stopped transmission and kept people safe. Others will point out that the Bay Area, uh, California in general, and the Bay Area in particular, again, are relatively young, relatively healthy places. So teasing out what really was uh, a matter of these uh, these safety COVID measures really making a difference and what has more to do with just the peculiarities of the Bay Area as a place uh, that's pretty tricky to tease out and I think, again, will be a debate that's going to be going on for quite a while. I, I did, though, have a chance to speak with a number of local Bay Area health experts recently and put to them the question of how they thought the region did. And some of them uh, were very happy to give the Bay Area uh, high marks for uh, what it managed to achieve, getting everybody on the page very early on. That's not something that we saw in a lot of other regions. Generally, we saw very high uh, buy-in for the uh, various measures for mask mandates. Vaccination rates were particularly high uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, Others, though, will highlight the collateral damage caused by various COVID precautions, in particular, the stay-at-home orders, uh, those impacting businesses, leading to a lot of lost jobs, a lot of shuttered shops, uh, or those impacting schools, which caused a lot of disruption in the academic lives of young people. Uh, They worry about the long-term consequences of that, in particular with young people. Uh, They say that we could see learning loss, we could see mental health challenges that will persist for years to come. And so really very difficult to assess how things kind of shake out in the end when you compare, uh, on the one hand, the the lives saved versus the uh, very real disruptions that uh, these various measures uh, have caused. Uh, I put some of those concerns uh, also to Santa Clara County Health Officer Dr. Sarah Cody, who was, of course, someone who played a leading role in the uh, uh, calling the original stay-at-home orders in the Bay Area way back in uh, March of 2020. And uh, she uh, went so far as acknowledging that uh, from her vantage point, there were not always very good tools to use to assess the full social impact of the uh, orders that she was making. 
one of the things that I think we really did get right is uh, acting and moving as a region. Um, mm. This was very difficult to do, and we couldn't always do it precisely. But our our spirit of acting as a region, I think, was um, enormously protective for the for the whole Bay Area, and I'm um, that's something that that I think we we did right, and uh, and I think we would do that again. The whole pandemic is set, was so dynamic um, because new information was coming in every day, um, you know, through a fire hose. And we were all trying to make decisions on behalf of the residents that we serve uh, every day to incorporate new information and then and then adjust as necessary. And, and, and that was very, very difficult. And of course, we didn't get every little one right. Um, but on the whole, I think we did um, reasonably well, just in, as far as if you look at the mortality rates in the Bay Area as compared to the rest of the state or as compared to the country, you know, that's a like a very basic measure to look at. And um, we did better than other places in that in that respect. And so it wasn't always easy to determine how do we weigh these two important impacts of these decisions that we're going to have, you know, the, the health impact versus those other uh, social disruptions that we could see. And so she's calling for going forward, more work to be done to put those tools in place uh, so that we can do a better job of assessing those various social impacts um, when perhaps the next major health crisis strikes and the next health officer is tasked with making, once again, uh, these very difficult decisions. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up the educational drawbacks. And I was recently speaking with the director of a, a nonprofit I was teaching performing arts for in public schools here in West Contra Costa County. And she said that there were many classrooms and many schools that actually decided to discontinue working with the nonprofit because they simply couldn't, they were so behind, they couldn't fit theater education or performing arts into their day anymore. Um, so they had to skip out on, on the performing arts education um, for at least this year. So yeah, educators are, I think, definitely seeing the, the drawbacks to that. But, you know, you mentioned education, another industry that was rocked and turned upside down by the pandemic was the restaurant industry. Um, and you had mentioned that it, it continues to face some challenges, even as we've returned to indoor dining, even as we've started to, um, and actually for a long time now, uh, lifted mask mandates. So where does the restaurant industry uh, in the Bay Area stand right now? Uh, well, in speaking to leading lights in the local restaurant industry in the Bay Area, their message is that for them, the crisis is very much not over. There's still a lot of restaurants that are struggling and uh, even at risk of shutting down. They continue to face high prices due to inflation, which itself in some ways is related to the pandemic and the supply shocks that we saw early on. Uh, they're also seeing continued labor shortages. It sounds like that's gotten significantly better, but it's not resolved entirely. And so it's still expensive to run a restaurant in the Bay Area. On top of that, downtown restaurants in particular, talking about restaurants in downtown San Francisco, downtown Oakland, downtown San Jose, they are struggling um, especially at the moment, because of the ways that the pandemic changed where we go during the day. There's fewer office workers in those downtown areas because so many more people are working from home. 
And so the entire business model of, you know, depending on that lunch rush to bring customers in just doesn't work very much anymore. I spoke with um, the owner of Sushi Confidential, and that was an an interesting uh, case because he has locations in downtown San Jose and also in downtown Campbell, which is more of a, a neighborhood sort of bedroom community. Uh, He says there's been a lot of recovery in the neighborhood, but when it comes to his location in downtown San Jose, he's still seeing his business at about 50% of what it was before the pandemic started. So that's a major cut. Uh, And uh, as a result, he's had to cut staff, which is, uh, of course, having uh, trickle-down effects to uh, workers in San Jose as well. So going forward, I think folks in the restaurant industry are watching very closely to see where the economy is headed next. Uh, If we see a major uptick in the return of tourism and the return of major trade shows, that could really turn things around and help out a lot. If we see it go in a different direction, um, that could spell trouble for a lot of these local businesses. You can check out Keith McConey on In-Depth every Sunday on KCBS Radio 106.9 FM AM 740 and anytime on the Odyssey app. It's where you can also listen to his full interview with Dr. Sarah Cody. Bay Current is a production of KCBS Radio. I'm Mallory Samara. For more Bay Area stories, please subscribe to Bay Current on the Odyssey app or wherever you listen. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.